Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello! Coming up on today's show, (laughs) it was a big night for reality TV finales on Thursday evening and the results sparked a rather furious divide between Australians. When it comes to daylight savings and the shows airing at different times in different states, whose responsibility is it to keep the result under wraps? Plus, a conversation about celebrity fundraisers in the wake of natural disasters and then the OK Boomer meme that has infiltrated the internet. But first, Michelle, how was your week? It was a really good week. We are, of course, so excited to meet some of you this week. It is crazy to think that our live shows in Brisbane and Sydney are this week, Zara. We are, of course, just two days out from our first ever Brisbane live show presented by ANZ, who are committed to helping Australians get on top of their money, and The Body Shop, who are fighting for a fairer and more beautiful world this Christmas with a donation from every single purchase going to Plan International, the global children's charity striving to achieve quality for girls. I found, because when we go to airports, you and I always buy a book. It's kind of like a little ritual we've begun this year. We go to the airport, we go to the bookstore, we grab one, we have a coffee in the, not the lounge, we're not fancy enough to go to a lounge. Where do we go? The gate. (laughs) The very uncomfortable gate seats. (laughs) The budget gate seats. And we read our books. And this week I picked up three women by Lisa, I think it's Lisa Tadeo or Tadio. Lisa Tadio, I think. Tadio, very American. It is. I picked that up this week and I'd heard so, so much about it. For those who haven't heard, it kind of chronicles three American women's lives over the course of years, but it has the but it has a very tight angle of women's desire. So it's not just about romantic relationships. It's not just about sex. It's kind of an amalgamation of the two. And it looks at how their sexual exploration changes and morphs over the years. It's really interesting. So she follows them over the course of about seven years. Is that right? Yeah, there would have been... shudder to think how much work went into this book. It's really interesting in that it reads like a fiction novel, but it's non-fiction. I would love to know how closely it mirrors the actual women themselves. I feel like Lisa is such a remarkable writer that she does take a little bit of creative license with the way that she shows these women's experiences. I just, I don't know, I think because she's so intelligent and so lyrical with the way she writes, 
one criticism that I do have is each woman kind of sounds the same. It kind of sounds like her voice is very prominent in it. That said, the writing is remarkably good. She's the kind of writer where I will read a whole passage and have an existential crisis that I will never be that good. (laughs) Like she, her writing is gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. I keep stopping myself. I keep wanting to take photos of passages and put it up on my Instagram story, but I stop myself because so many of them reveal later parts of the storyline and I don't want to spoil it for anyone. What I mean, hero. we're going to get to we're going to get a spoiler hero. <laughs> I know, but the writing is out of otherworldly. I find it interesting that you say that you wonder how much of the story is real because she's the one telling the story, but I often feel like that when journalists might be writing a profile, right? It is their interpretation of a story. So does it actually matter if it's not the truth, like it's somebody else's truth? I think the problem is is that a lot of it isn't plot driven. Yeah. It's character driven and internal dialogue driven. And therefore, how much can you really know someone's internal dialogue or what they're thinking and feeling? I know, of course, you can interview them so many times, but the actual voice and the words behind it does sound similar between the women. And I've read a lot of reviews actually this week because the book has just gripped me so intensely. And that is a criticism that's been levelled at Tadio. Tadio. (laughs) Look, we're really struggling here. I would say a counter-recommendation to that would be her interview with Elizabeth Day on How to Fail. I've listened to a few interviews with her, but I haven't yet read the book. But that interview is really great because she goes into detail about how much work and how much time went into this book. I think she was given a two-year book deadline and she ended up writing it in eight. (laughs) So it's insane the amount of work. What about you? How's your week? My week was wonderful. I have to say it was so so heartening to see uh, the the GoFundMe page that we popped up for victims of the bushfire that we said if you donate $5 we might wink wink give you a prize. I hope GoFundMe is not listening to Well that. we won't give everyone a prize. One person may yeah. or may not win a $1,000 prize. Wink wink. It wink. could just be a massive coincidence that someone that donated <laughs> wins the prize. Huge coincidence if you're from GoFundMe. I did want to say though a huge thank you for everybody who got behind that. That is an incredible community set up in that Facebook group. Over $30,000 raised which is just a, a stupid amount of money and for a really important cause. Yeah, well, we wanted to raise $10,000 in two weeks and we raised $30,000 in two days. So thank you guys. We cannot express how grateful we are. In other news, I finally bought for those playing along at home, Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow when we did go to the airport. The final instalment in your Me Too obsession. I know. it's. I'm about halfway through. It is. I heard a lot of commentary around it in that it reads like a spy thriller and I think it's so unoriginal of me to come back and say <laughs> it reads like a spy thriller but I can't think of any other way to describe it and I think he deliberately sets it up like that so that's why everybody's uh, describing it that way. It is so good. It's so interesting. It's also terrifying in some ways. The link between sort of I would argue media corruption, Donald Trump and the Me Too movement is so inextricable. Interesting. Um, it is really interesting. I think you would really like it. What do you think of Ronan Farrow as a writer? He's great. He's great. And it's also a little conversational in some parts. Mm-hmm. Like he's funny. He cracks jokes, like really subtle, dry jokes through it. And it feels so out of place. So it sort of like slaps you across the face because you're in the depths of this really heavy story. And then he'll say something very self-deprecating about himself. Do you think this is the end of your Me Too movement obsession? No, I reckon there's far more to come because I think there'll be so much more literature to come. I do have one thing for you. I know I'm a week late. Oh my God, have you got me a jingle? <laughs> I put together <gasps> a jingle. I put together. I So I went on Fiverr. Yes, amazing. And I, I tried to crowdsource earlier in the week ideas for it and I blocked you from Instagram. 
to try and find ideas. But you messaged me about two hours later saying <laughs> it was one thing to block me, but maybe block Shameless too, because I just saw that story. That was a pretty sad story. Being like, I need help. <laughs> also, I don't know how to block one person from your Instagram story. I only had to, I had to block your account in its entirety. I feel like we are both Instagram rookies. Well, I don't know how to do that. So I would love for someone to tell me for next time. So I don't look like the world's biggest noob. That's I, so annoying. It's called Google. Yeah, also true. I just couldn't really. <laughs> Someone else do the heavy lifting. What do you think I should have made the jingle about? Um, ooh, is it a mashup of all the times I said Marie Claire or is it a mashup of all the times I said this is the best thing ever? Okay, interesting you say that. It is, <laughs> I feel like I need a caveat before I play oh this God. jingle. I feel because really nervous. It came, so I was quite sick on Thursday and that's when it dropped into my inbox. And I was like lying on the bathroom floor, playing it in my ear, being like, this jingle makes no fucking sense. They have taken that much creative <laughs> license with what I have asked. But I was also pissing myself and it was the brightest part of my day. So I was like, fuck it, we're going with it. How much did you pay? Like $110. I feel anxious. Do you want me to explain it or do you want me to play it and then you can explain it? <laughs> okay, I'm going to play it. Okay, go. Is push, it this button? Push the button. I gave them one line. They've given us four. So don't forget the name. She's everything you need. No, this is not a game. Was that? She's everything you need. No, this is not a game. Yeah, she's beauty and grace. So I gave them one line. I said, all I need you to do is write me a song that said, it's Mari, not Marie. They yeah. fucked it up. They said, it's Mary, it's not Marie. And then they've written, it seems like they've written like about the Virgin Mary or something. She's everything and name. She's beauty. And, so they've literally given us their own interpretation of my one line. It's Mary, it's not Marie. Yeah. I love that. They've also fucked Where it were up. they from? I got it from Fiverr. Because, yeah, but Fiverr, like a lot of people are international. There is hardly anyone on that website from Australia. I think my, your one was from somewhere in Asia. I don't know. I thought mine was America. His name was Kirk. He was lovely. Oh I mean, he, and he gave me extra value. Like he gave me bang for my buck. I can't exactly complain. <laughs> he did not give you value or bang for your buck. He got the entire premise wrong. Yes, but he added lines and I thought, I appreciate <laughs> your creative license here. So are we opening next week's episode with that? Yes, and I would like a poll in the group from today. Whose jingle is catchier? Not better catchy because I think mine is oh Zara is a beach hero is pretty catchy sorry Zara I'm not gonna (laughs) we all know who the resident singer at Shameless HQ is and it's not me so that is my jingle for you we'll open up the show with it next week (laughs) for now Michelle it was a big week for reality tv it was a huge week for the bachelorette the finale aired it absolutely was Angie Kent who I would say is one of the more popular bachelorettes that Australia has had chose her final guy and her final guy was not the guy that any of us wanted we all wanted Tim who I describe as a mix between Captain Jack Sparrow and a lovable Aussie Bogan and she didn't go for that she went for Carlin who is lovely but not Tim. They didn't sell us the Angie and Carlin love story, I don't think, well enough to the point where when the finale aired and I was watching the last scene I just didn't believe it it just didn't feel like 
other finales have felt. And I, I think the best part about Bachelorette or Bachelor finale is not to take them too seriously, but to take them too seriously is that you have that real heartbreak when you see someone's heart literally shatter yes. on national TV. But then your heart is pieced back together by the love story that comes after it. Yeah, because they always go to an ad break. After the heartbreak, ad break, and you spend the entire ad break feeling shit and awful and horrible. And then you come back from the ad break and it's like, everything's new and shiny again. Exactly. But this one didn't really land for me. I think it's because I think it also doesn't help that there's been that much commentary around about whether those two are together or not. Yes. And I don't think she did much to help that. Yeah. She didn't dispel that rumour very effectively very early on. I know after newspaper articles started coming out that perhaps she hadn't fallen in love and there was something awry between her and the winner and she did start doing interviews where she clarified that yes she was in love yes she was very happy yes she was still with the winner however I don't feel it and I know that's controversial and I know some people will say just get on board the love story and to be honest it doesn't really matter if I believe it or not like me coming on shameless and saying I don't buy it doesn't affect really anything in my opinion if they buy it and if they're in love then that's totally up to them some people maybe their chemistry just doesn't translate through a screen well and I think we mentioned this on the reality check podcast on Friday that was very much the case with Ali Ochen and Tate and they are still together that said there is something funny about the communication around this relationship as you say from Angie not so much from Carlin but from Angie and I think for the people coming to us in our Facebook group saying why can't we just let them live or they may well be in love but they don't want to show it the idea idea of going on a show like this is to make your love public and it's inviting commentary on your love and there's no way you can sign a contract to The Bachelorette and not expect that to be the case. She has a, a swarming wall of publicists around her telling her that the way she words things will start stories. Absolutely and let's keep in mind that previous bachelors and previous bachelorettes have been paid pay packets up to a rumoured half a million dollars. So you're almost paid to make your love life public. You're almost paid to accept that criticism and critique and analysis is going to come into the most private aspects of your life this is just part and parcel she could have easily said no to being the bachelorette anyone can easily walk away from a role like this but you take that money and you take that clout and that following for this this is the this is the exchange totally and I think the other interesting conversation that often comes out when we see a couple that we're not entirely sure are still together is are there clauses in their contracts that demand they stay together for a certain amount of time after the show airs and it's a really hard one because I know the thing that I always think about is how fierce and almost furious Georgia Love has been in the past about those allegations or those accusations and she said that doesn't exist that said I've heard rumours that they do. Yeah. I See, I love Georgia Love. Georgia Love is, of course, a friend of the show. And she has said very vehemently that for her season, it was not a thing. She was never made to sign a contract that said she would have to keep up some false pretense of a relationship. However, we have heard plenty of rumours in the seasons since hers. And I do wonder if after... PR disasters like Sophie Monk's season and the Honey Badger season if there is a clause or even a little bit of pressure from the network that says it will serve you well to look like you are in love for the foreseeable future or for now. Well, it's interesting because the conversation we had in an Uber today was around if there was a clause, and I don't I don't actually know if there's going to be something as specific as a clause, but there has to be network pressure, 
then it's not like the network are going to pursue them legally, right? Mm. If Angie Kent breaks her contract with Channel 10, it's not like Channel 10 are going to pursue that because if they pursue that legally, that's then suddenly public information and then everybody therefore knows yep. that that thing exists and the, the entire facade around the show falls apart. Well, I definitely have a conspiracy theory. I think there is something going on behind closed doors that there is an attitude that if you are going to choose someone, do not be seen, do not be photographed making out with some guy at a bar on a Friday night because it will damage your reputation. And I honestly believe that's why the Honey Badger in his finale last year decided to pick no one because he knew that there would be pressure that if he picked someone, he is with that person for at least six months until the show airs and then three months in the public eye. I do think there has to be something there that makes The Bachelorette or The Bachelor feel like they need to be in a committed relationship. I mean, regardless, both Channel 10 and the contestants are very good at making us talk about them, whether they're in love or not. So whatever they're doing, they're doing right. Do you know what I mean? Whatever they're doing, they're making us have a conversation about it and think about it. And that's good publicity for the show in and of itself. Well, it makes them relevant far beyond the show finishing, right? Angie Kent is about to enter her highest level of relevancy. When we've been invited into her life, now it's been taken away from us. She's not in our living rooms twice a week anymore. And we're going to be following her on Instagram. We're going to be looking for articles about her. We're going to be looking at what body cream she wants to promote today. Totally. So I think it's, I mean, props to all of them, whatever they're doing, props to all of them. One conversation I did want to have with you, Michelle, on the back of both the Love Island and Bachelorette finale airing was a conversation that pops up after every single finale. And that's about daylight savings and time differences and the fact that Melbourne and Sydney often air or almost always air their finales before everybody else and therefore should we not share spoilers online yes and we you and I in particular me received backlash for this on Thursday Zara because as soon as it was announced that Tim was the runner-up I posted something on our Instagram page it was a screenshot of my own tweet which in hindsight is a bit narcissistic but (laughs) hey whatever I captured the mood we shared that tweet (laughs) but hey I captured the mood so it's definitely not narcissistic that mine was a little (laughs) we shared that meme on Instagram that basically said like put your put your sunflowers out for Tim I don't know it was pro Tim sentiment and we got slammed like in our DMs and in a few comments not by many I would say by two to five percent of people who engaged with that post people came for us and said how dare you post spoilers this hasn't aired yet think of the people in Queensland think of the people in Perth in Tasmania whatever Now, I get frustrated with this every year. And don't get me wrong, I sympathise with people who live in states that aren't Melbourne and Sydney and do have to watch the finale one, two, three hours late. I get it. It's really annoying. In fact, you and I, Zara, were in Brisbane earlier this year for like a day and I was irritated by the fact that we were watching Love Island after everyone else and it was a regular episode. (laughs) It wasn't even like a meaningful thing whatsoever. But I wanted to partake in the online forums and the live streams and the chats and all the stuff that happens when the show airs however this is where I get confused when people come to uh, columnists or media personalities and say please don't speak about this for three hours they're kind of setting themselves up for failure or they're living in a utopia that is detached from reality because the internet is geared for instancy It is geared for people to live tweet things, live stream things, whatever. We are never going to have a world where every single person watching The Bachelorette and watching Love Island in Melbourne and Sydney agrees to not share anything for three hours. Even if you had 99.95% of people get on board and say, we'll do the sweet, compassionate thing and wait till 11 o'clock to talk about this online, 
one person would still go on Twitter and tweet about it. One person would still share an Instagram post about it and there would still be spoilers. The only solution to this problem is to stay off social media if you are in a state where it's not aired live. It feels a little like Groundhog Day, doesn't it? And I understand some of the commentary that came back to us is not that they were deliberately seeking social media out, but you can actually imagine how you'd mindlessly scroll through your phone and see it without realising. Like, I do understand how frustrating that suggestion can be too. Stay off your phone. Well, what? Stay off my phone for four hours when I'm likely coming home from work or something. Yeah. I do get that too. It sucks. Don't get me wrong. Like, it sucks and I feel bad for them. But there's no solution. Like, there is no solution beyond what we're already doing. I think there's so much more at play here than just hours of the day or time differences I think it speaks to how our country functions and the cities that are the focal point and I know that sounds like a very obvious point but I do think there's kind of lingering and bubbling resentment that extends far beyond reality tv moments you know what cities get the big artists that come what cities get the big events like I do understand that and I think that is fair but I think for people asking us in particular not to post I think the thing we need to think about or talk about when it comes to reality TV or pop culture moments is that they're moments. They are huge for pulling together a crowd, for uniting people as much as that might make you eye roll or laugh. It's true. It unites people for tapping into a mood. You cannot delay that. That would be stupidly, stupidly bad business Mm. for us. Mm. Like to be totally honest, it would be terrible business. We'd be terrible at our jobs if we didn't tap the mood straight away. Our entire jobs is reliant on us being able to read the mood. So I think when it comes to outrage or happy moments or just moments in general, you need to strike when the iron is hot and you cannot pause a national conversation. Also, just from a really analytical point of view, I did not see this conversation going down this route, but I think it's interesting for those who don't work in social media or don't work in the media. The difference between posting something at 12 o'clock or posting something at 12.05 when it's a moment as big as this is huge. When we started working in digital media when we were quite young, if a post went as much as two or three minutes late, you had done a bad job. Things need to go ASAP because if you're not riding the wave at its absolute peak, I'm not a surfer, I probably got that entirely wrong. It's kind of like catching a wave. If you get there at the <laughs> she right says time. She continues with the metaphor. <laughs> you're a beach hero, you get it. I so do. If you're catching the wave at the right point, you are going to ride that wave and get so much more engagement and clicks and follows and comments. If you miss the wave by even a split minute, two minutes, three minutes, you've missed the wave. You're not going to get that momentum. I I would back myself that anyone who works in social media and disagrees with me, please come into the Facebook group because I have done social media for a little while now and I swear that is the truth. You need to strike when it is at its absolute hottest. No, I totally agree. I think it's a classic case of if you're not first, you're last. Yes. Like your post is irrelevant if you are not first. I think it's, it's what people are suggesting now, which is that people don't post, is beyond impossible. And I'm sorry to break the news like that, but I think it's beyond impossible. We can't all just hold our hands and agree not to jump. There is no other option beyond asking networks to air the shows online or air the shows somewhere at an accessible point for everyone across the country. But the solution is not the entire country changing their behaviour. The solution is networks changing their behaviour. I totally agree with you. And I think that's why some people responded negatively to Osher Ginsburg's tweet. He tweeted out, of course, Osher Ginsburg, for those unfamiliar, is the host of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. He tweeted out on finale night, if you're outside of New South Wales and Victoria and are still upset about the internet spoiling your TV viewing 10 years after Twitter was invented, I think it's back to a Nokia for you. People did not receive that too well in our Facebook group. And I think what what people in states outside of Victoria and New South Wales want is just 
just maybe like a hat tip to be like, this is kind of shitty for you. And they want networks, like you said, Zara, to just open it up to them so that they can watch it online if they want. Before we move on and get into the quick and dirty, I think we need to acknowledge the fact that you, my little darling girl, correctly predicted the winner for the millionth time every year that I've known you we've known each other for four years now every single season of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette you have successfully picked the winner from episode one thank you so much I actually like I don't give you praise easily because we are mates and we rub each other all the time (laughs) you have a gift like I actually think you have a gift when it comes to predicting things I'm happy to test the gift it can keep going well I'm so glad you said that have you not you mustn't have read my notes I've got like a little note in our um google drive we've been doing this for so long now I used to read your notes before we walked down now I just can't be bothered (laughs) I want you to make some predictions and in two weeks' time, we are going to revisit this in a segment that I will call <laughs> Zara Predicts. And we'll be able to see out of three random things what you get right. Oh, God. Now, I, I started... I back this. I, I fucking back myself. <laughs> I started with something kind of tied to pop culture, kind of closely tied to what we do here at Shameless. And it is who is going to win the best male artist at the Arias <laughs> in about two weeks' time. Now, I could have gone female artist, but I think we all know Tones and I will probably win that. So I've gone for something a bit more difficult. Zara McDonald, place your prediction. Will Dean Lewis for A Place We Knew, Guy Sebastian for Choir, Hayden James for Between Us, Matt Corby for Rainbow Valley, or Paul Kelly for Nature win Best Male Artist at the Arias? Forgive me, I didn't know Paul Kelly was still a thing. Paul, Kelly, uh, Paul Kelly performed at the AFL Grand Final, not that that means no, anything because they means, had meatloaf. I was going to say that means you're still a thing. Okay, an interesting one. I'd almost prefer to do a one through to five, but the Arias don't allow you to do that. It's clearly between Dean Lewis and Guy Sebastian. Dean Lewis, Guy Sebastian, Guy Sebastian, Dean Lewis. You know what? I'm going to fucking go Dean Lewis. Interesting. I know Guy Sebastian's the obvious choice, but I think Dean Lewis has been doing some good things. Lock it in. Lock it in. All right, my second Now, I went a bit random, okay? My second one for you. On Thursday, the 28th of November at Waverley Netball (laughs) Club, who is going to win the under-15 ones game between WDNA and Chelsea Districts? Now, it's played on court four at nine o'clock and it's going to be between fourth place and fifth place and whoever wins will probably make the finals. Big game. Who's going to win? Who's fourth and who's fifth? Uh, I don't know, but it doesn't matter. I think I think they're like on basically the same oh, point. That it doesn't is bullshit. Matter. Who's going to win? WDNA I would like, I would like the record to show that I wasn't given sufficient enough information for this prediction, but alas, because I'm an oracle, <laughs> I'll do it anyway. So between WDNA <laughs> and Chelsea Districts, to be honest, oh it's God. going to be Chelsea Districts. Lock, Lock it in. in. My third one. <laughs> What is the weather going to be on Friday the 29th of November in Mullumbimby? This is the most pointless fucking segment ever. Mullumbimby. Now, for those not aware, very, very close to Byron Bay. Yep. Some of my family live there. Okay, so I think it's going to be 28 degrees, uh, mostly sunny. Amazing. I'll lock that in lock too. That in. We will revisit this not next Monday, but the Monday after. See you guys in two Mondays. <laughs> Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you guys the top five stories, which is debatable from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara Ellis McDonald, 
Give it to me. I was about to say sock it to me, but give it to me. Number one, viewers fume as hashtag Me Too scandal engulfs Survivor. That is from news.com.au. Did you see this story around? No, I'm trusting you have so you can tell me all about it. It's actually a little complicated, but I'll try to do my best to um, break it down for the listeners. So the US version of Survivor is airing at the moment called Island of the Idols. And what's happened on this show is a contestant by the name of Kelly Kim expressed, expressed the fact that she was uncomfortable with the way that a fellow contestant by the name of Dan was touchy and was violating her personal space. And Mm. she voiced this in episode two, and I think we're up to about episode eight now. And this is airing on Australian screens too. So when she was talking about it again this week to camera, uh, a producer stepped in and there are some like Reddit sleuths who think that this might be the first time a producer has ever stepped in on Survivor in its entire history. And it has a long history too. And said, do you need help? But the issue is I think the minute Kelly asks for help it kind of ruins her game it's such a strategic game and looking like you're getting help from the outside isn't great yeah anyway what happened was after that two other contestants by the names of Missy and Elizabeth decided to leverage these allegations by saying that it all sort of exaggerated her experiences with Dan too so that all focus would go on to Dan and they wouldn't be voted out so they leveraged off another contestant's oh uncomfortableness and terrible situation in order to vote that guy out. So they almost, they almost concocted an issue that wasn't there for them, but it was there for another contestant. Exactly. And they had said in their own piece to camera that they didn't have a huge issue with Dan, oh but they decided God. to leverage this regardless. So what had ended up happening was there was this huge, as there always is in Survivor, a lot of drama before Tribal Council. And what ended up happening is that all the votes were actually redirected so that the Kelly contestant from the very start was voted out. So what people are saying is that this woman made a complaint and then she was voted out. And it's obviously not one wow. links to the other, but it's how two other contestants leveraged her own allegation and she ended up getting voted out because of it. Gross. Horrendous. Like the story you don't want airing on national television because it gives voice to that really inaccurate picture or hypothetical really inaccurate picture or thought that women make up sexual harassment allegations. And it's such a misrepresentation because we know that happens at such a minute scale. Exactly. So that's that story. Really, really complicated. I'll be very interested to see how that commentary continues to play out and how Survivor deals with it. Wow. Number two for you. She has a whole new face. Chloe Kardashian is mercilessly blasted on Instagram for over-editing her photos as account points to how different she looks in real life versus her own snaps. That is from the Daily Mail. I didn't read that well. My breath got lost. <laughs> do we care? Like, do we care that people like Chloe Kardashian are using Facetune to such a level? Chloe Kardashian, it's hard. It's a hard question, do I care? Because I don't personally care because it feels like such old news. Mm. So if it was new and it was the first time she'd done it, maybe I'd say, yes, she's so famous. She has so many young women following her. She shouldn't do it. But I'm so beyond caring because it happens in every photo. See, the thing for me, I don't care about Khloe Kardashian because it's so friggin' obvious. Like she overblows her face to the point that it may as well be a white wall. However, I do care about influencers face tuning their photos. And it's funny because we actually came across someone in the industry last week who was telling us that she has come across an influencer who does not send photos to other people or does not let other people upload photos of herself until she has facetuned them and approved them. And I just found that level of editing. I had no idea this girl facetuned her photos. Absolutely no idea in the world. She kind of looks the same in person as to what she does through this social media app. But that kind of matters to me that you are changing your face and altering the way your face is structured to have before it can even go online. Yeah, it definitely bothers me. I don't like it. And that's why I've never had the app on my phone because I never want to be one that partakes in that because mm. I think there are so many other people on the platform who would be damaged by that action. That said, 
a small, small, small part of me is like, God, there's some fucked up issues in the world for women that make them feel like they need to do that. And they're literally just playing into a system that tells them they need to be hotter. And I know that's an incredibly idealistic point of view. It's not my entire point of view, but I think it's a point that matters. No, true. Well, it's not even a small part of me. It's like half of me feels that. Half of me feels angry that they're doing it and lying about it. And the other half of me feels sad that they feel the need to do it. And my third story, it's just life. The Bachelors Matt Agnew and Chelsea McLeod split. Are we surprised? And actually, before you even answer that, there was some sentiment online that people shouldn't be coming out and saying, I'm not surprised. I saw this coming because apparently that's cruel to Matt and Chelsea. But I saw this coming. That's cruel to Matt and Chelsea. <laughs> uh I think it's fine to say you saw it coming. I think it's the conversation that we had earlier. They went on a reality show. It invites commentary on your relationship. You can't expect it not to come. So, yes, I did see it coming. And for me, it's the simplest argument of all. They didn't seem very active on social media. And I know people will say, well, that's not an indictment on a healthy relationship. But I think it's an indictment on a stable relationship when you've just come out of a reality show and you need to prove to the world that you're together. On a bachelor relationship. Exactly. Bachelor couples know that they have to prove to the public that they're in love and this couple wasn't able to do that probably because something has been awry for quite a while I mean Matt's statement it did say that they'd been together six months I don't know about the timeline there how long ago was it that their season finished about two about two months ago and I'm I'm I am curious as to where that six month came from. Maybe six months since they met? (laughs) Bit of a roundup. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe it is six months since they met. I just find it interesting. I remember when there were rumours of them, you know, are they, aren't they? And that was probably a month ago now when he was in Dubai. Mm. Do you remember that? Mm. And she kind of posted in retaliation about that. But it was a pap shot and I found that really interesting because I thought if you are together or if you're spending a heap of time together and you want to prove to the public that you're together – Surely you're going to pick a more intimate selfie at home rather than a photo that somebody else has taken of you in public. And not just a pap shot, it was pap shot from the one day of media they did after the finale aired. So again, really interesting. All of this said, I do feel really sorry for Chelsea. Based on both of their statements, it does give the impression that Matt ended the relationship and it was a one-sided thing. I feel really fucking sorry for her because she seems like a lovely girl. It looks like, according to her Instagram stories, paparazzo are following her around. Or paparazzi, I never know what to say. Paparazzi <laughs> are following Exactly. So, I don't know, my... My heart goes out to Chelsea. I mean, my heart actually goes out to both of them. I think a breakdown of a relationship is shit no matter who breaks it off, to be totally honest with you. And we're making an assumption on who broke it off. Like, we actually don't have those facts. So, Michelle, I would like your heart to go out to both of them. One smug and mature Zara McDonald. My heart goes out (laughs) to Chelsea (laughs) McLeod. Number four, I'm embarrassed I ever dated him. Married at first sight's Jessica Power threatens to sue ex-Nick Furphy for defamation after he leaked video of her cheating on him. That's from the Daily Mail again. Now, as far as trashy stories go. This is pretty well it. This is absolute garbage. Jessica Power was on this year's season of Married at First Sight. Nick Furphy might have been on the 2017 season of Married at First Sight. They hooked up, they were dating for a few months and apparently while they were dating, Jessica Power kissed another man on a motorcycle in Bali. (laughs) Apparently, allegedly, who knows, all of the synonyms. What I find interesting about this, Zara, and what I want to put to you is that I think social media personalities like Nick Furphy, who has, it's like 60 or 70,000 followers, and other people online who have big followings really underestimate how litigious their actions are. And I'm not surprised that Jessica Power is potentially pursuing a defamation case against Nick Furphy because 
the way people talk about each other online is often defamatory and I do think he might have a case to answer for here and I think plenty of people operating on Instagram could be in the same boat. I have to agree. I've been thinking that a lot recently just when it comes to like anonymous gossip accounts who they might have just started from somebody's bedroom and they might build up quite a few followers and by that point I don't think any of them realise how much they could be sued for the things that they're saying with reckless abandon. Yeah, well as two people who've worked at media companies and have seen what some local Australian celebrities with deep pockets take take legal action over absolutely like I'm stunned that some people on Instagram haven't been sued yet and I watch with kind of like squinty eyes because I'm just tensing and bracing myself for the moment that lawyers come for them. Absolutely. And number five, Love Island Australia facing the axe over poor ratings. That is from Perth now. You did not watch every episode of Love Island Australia, but you you did kind of catch the tail end and you caught a few of the early episodes. Yeah, I would say I was across it rather than obsessed with it. It's interesting this idea that they may not come back for a third season. I think it would be a mistake and I would be surprised, so, so surprised if it didn't. I think that they planned to this story potentially to see if there's a groundswell of support for it to come back. Yeah, well, I want it to come back. I want it to come back on one condition though, that it is not like season two. I think what Channel 9 got wrong with Love Island Australia is that you cannot budget cut it. Budget cuts are so obvious in this case. This year, they took it to Fiji instead of Spain, where it normally is. And when you're in Spain, it is sunny all the time in summer. It is beautiful weather. It is like an island tropical paradise. In Fiji this year, it was overcast and raining and windy half the time. And that type of stuff not only affects the visual and the audio elements of the show, it affects the overall vibe and it makes it look cheap. And I think with Love Island, it can't look cheap. It needs to look polished. The rest of the details, the dates, whatever, they can be cheap. You cannot cut costs on the location. I don't think they will either. I think they might actually be building the costs up. I mean, maybe this is my complete naivety, but it's had a slow build. So it started on nine now. It's now moved to channel nine. They sort of continued a similar show, but just on a more mainstream channel. What if next year's the year that they go full out? And if it doesn't work, that's when it's cancelled. Yeah. Well, everyone listening to this will know that I'm a Love Island UK tragic and that show actually exploded in its third season. Season one and season two were very quiet season three was like a rocket ship out of nowhere and just had millions millions of viewers every episode so I think if they do it right they could do it amazingly well that's all for the quick and dirty today Woohoo! oh that was over excited of me (laughs) that's unusual for you (laughs) coming up after the break a conversation about celebrity fundraisers in the wake of the bushfires and then what the fuck is the okay boomer meme but first a word from today's sponsor This week, as so many of you know, bushfires ravaged parts of the east coast of Australia. Much of the footage coming out of Queensland and New South Wales was harrowing. At the time of recording, four people have died, countless properties destroyed and an inquantifiable amount of wildlife been lost. Many people have felt helpless. What can you do when tragedy strikes? Some influencers started fundraisers, some businesses donated profits. But is there a right way for a celebrity to raise money? That was the question that was raised after influencer Sarah's Day announced $1 of every product of her line with LeBang Body would be donated to bushfire appeals. Her followers, Mish, weren't impressed. It wasn't enough, they said, and her tone was too flippant. How did you feel about this story? 
I will be really honest, I felt conflicted. One detail I want to add to that intro that you just put, Zara, is she offered $1 from every product in her line for 48 hours. And I think it's that 48-hour part that is really interesting to me because I think without that 48-hour caveat, it would have been a very different response. And this is where I get so fascinated with online communication. It is in the little, little details that affects the entire reception. I love that businesses and online personalities wanted to be philanthropic and wanted to donate to charity. In this case, I don't think it is at all necessary. I don't think anyone has to do that, particularly a business that is there to make money. So the fact that Sarah's Day wanted to donate anything was amazing. I think where she fell down was her communication. I said to you as people started talking about it in my in our Facebook group that these are the kinds of stories that annoy me more than anything because I think they are very, very dangerous. And when I say I'm annoyed, I'm annoyed at the fact that people are annoyed about someone trying to do good. Mm. And I will put my hand up and say, I am the first person to say that we need to unpack things and we need to look at things in context and we need to dig into them. But I think when it comes to charity and people donating to charity, there's an element of benefit of the doubt that we rarely give people that we don't quote unquote like. And and I think when you said before, I think words mean a lot in this context and communication means a lot. And maybe if she didn't do that 40 hour, 48 hour thing at the end of the cell, that it would be different. I, I think I disagree, not with the fact that communication doesn't matter. I think it's crucial. And I think some of her communication fell down, but I think a lot of the criticism for this was biased and was personal. And I don't think much of it had to do with the announcement at hand. I agree with you. I do. I want to say again, so that we're all on the same page and we're clear, I think this was a good thing and I'm proud of Sarah's day and I'm happy for her to have done this and I'm sad for her that she copped so much hate. Am I surprised that she copped that hate? No, because I think putting such a tight timeline on this, putting so much urgency on it in that 48-hour timeline is giving an illusion of marketing. That's a marketing strategy. We know that businesses do flash sales because it creates a sense of urgency and that decision was really not the right one in this case because people all of a sudden go, well, why don't you want to donate to bushfires in 72 hours time? Why do you not want to donate to them on Saturday or Sunday? Why is it such a quick thing? I think the urgency needed to be replaced by a figure. If she had said, I will donate $1 from every product until we hit $10,000, that would be amazing. It's a figure that people can put in their head and go, great, $10,000 towards charity. But putting a timeline on it is not ideal. I agree with you, but I agree with you to a point in that, yes, the 48 hours wasn't ideal, but I think what we're doing here is we're making the assumption that anyone who wants to do good needs to frame it in a good way or a positive way or a helpful way in order for it to be received well. Why don't we put the onus back on ourselves and say, I'm going to give someone the fucking benefit of the doubt. Like I'm going to look at that $1 and say, she can raise whatever she raises. I shouldn't demand a figure and say, I need to see that $10,000 in order to know that she is doing good. Yeah, That's what frustrates me, I guess. The, the way that the conversation is flipped so that the owner is on the the onus is on the person doing good not the person making comment do you agree though with the line of thought that this is using a really tragic circumstance to market a product yeah I, I can see how people would see that I can see the argument but I also I will come back to the same point time and time and time again and it's give someone the benefit of the doubt like give them the benefit of the doubt there's far more important things at play here than it being a marketing ploy I also think it's interesting that line like is it a marketing ploy 
isn't any kind of brand that ties themselves to charity an unofficial, unintended marketing job. It's certainly not bad for brand. Well, this is where I want to come back to you. I'm just curious. Yeah. What do you think of a brand like Mount Franklin attaching themselves to the Breast Cancer Foundation and donating five cents from every bottle to the Breast Cancer De- the Breast Cancer Foundation, when that has been linked to surges in sales? Well, this is a hard one because it's like you put on one hand like plastic bottles being bad for the environment, but also breast cancer Breast cancer research has saved people's lives. Yes. Like it saved my mum's life, that yes. kind of research. She wouldn't be here if it wasn't there 10 years ago. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So I think if people weren't buying those bottles, it's a very personal argument when you're talking about charity, I think, because I think people would look at this who have families in bushfires and saying, I don't give a fuck if she makes $10,000 more money. That money could save my horse. That money could save my house. Do you know what I mean? Totally. It's it's a really complex argument where people's really personal struggles are put on the line. And I think when I think, and I think when I think about it like that, I don't really care if someone's making extra money. Like I don't. And I know that that's probably the least nuanced way to look at it. But I think for me right now, when I'm considering this story in isolation, that's where I sit. Yeah, totally. And that's totally fair enough. I do want to say, this is why I love writing. Like this type Mm. of story is why I love crafting words and the main and the importance of putting the right words together in the right way at the right time. And I think Sarah using the word fun to describe this campaign was an erroneous decision. She said this is a fun way to get people involved. And I know this is nitpicking, I know that, but it's also a really interesting way to observe how language functions. And in her comment section, lots of people picked up the use of the word fun to describe the bushfires. I don't think that's nitpicky at all. I think if there's anything that frustrated me about her communication in this entire story it was that word fun because I like you I think language matters it's why we work in language it's why we like it so much because I think if you do it the right way good things can happen it made me think right have we lost the art of being solemn like have we completely forgot what that looks like it reminds me earlier this year remember when we were talking about Anzac Day after Anzac Day and we were having a conversation about people posting drunk Instagram stories of themselves on Anzac Day and while it doesn't especially matter it feels off and I think that's how I feel about this use of fun in that have we lost the art of tone to understand how as a nation we can kind of pick up the same tone and use the same tone and be solemn together and that says a lot too. Absolutely and the way you communicate something on Instagram in particular is so important because Instagram flattens everything and yes that's frustrating but it's also super important that makes every word important every emoji important It means that your tone has to be so careful so that you do not appear flippant. You do not appear to be immature. You do not appear to be childish. Is it a little bit draining? Yes, I do not doubt that for a second. But if people are coming to Sarah's Day's post, for example, and feeling upset and they've been affected by the bushfire, words in that instance matter and they affect people more than we can know. One of the comments that I wanted to bring attention to was a comment or two that existed on our Facebook thread and also perhaps in Sarah's Day's comments that accused her of profiting off the misfortune of others. And I actually flatly refuse to accept this as absolute. She may be, but she also may not be. Like we don't know the answer to that. And I think that's what frustrates me so much. We don't know whether she is or isn't and because of that the only important thing to focus on is the fact that she is donating something like if we don't have the answer then the answer is well she's donating something so who cares it really annoyed me one of the comments on her post was this is such a shit effort why donate anything if you're only going to donate a dollar that is just that 
That perspective blows my mind. Yes, because it's like you can't do anything right. Because if Sarah's day had not commented on this, if she had just put up a link to a GoFundMe and said, go wild, donate as much as you want, no one would have batted an eyelid. But because she chose to donate from her own pocket, suddenly it wasn't enough. One comment she did make, Zara, which I do want your opinion on to wrap this segment. She did say on her Instagram story, if I hadn't done anything with my products to support the Bushfire Foundation, I would have gotten hate. If I promote 100% of the profits, I still get hate from promoting my products we say a dollar activation I still get hate you can't win do you agree I agree I don't think we're sitting here rattling off all the people and all the businesses that haven't donated I only know a handful of ones that have rather than the ones that haven't so I agree with you I don't think she would have copped much if she didn't do this I think it is that idea that the minute you do something good the bar is suddenly that much higher and there's so much further to fall she is divisive like I get that she does things and reacts to feedback especially in this case in a way that frustrates people but the bottom line for me is this no one is owed anything influencers don't owe charities anything at all in the same way you or I don't owe them anything either I think it comes back to the same point we've made on this podcast for a year and a half. Do no harm. Like if you're an influencer or if you're someone with a public profile, your one job is to do no harm. And if you can do an extra little bit of good, then that is great. That's all I care about. I think commentary like this is exhausting, unhelpful and redirects attention and conversations away from what actually matters, which is the bushfires and the victims in this case. I challenge anyone to go out to a charity in Queensland or New South Wales and say would you like these dollars from Sarah's day or would you not like them because I know what the answer would be so I think it's great that she tried to do her part I think it sucks that she got the hate that she did but I think this is a wonderful lesson in how tone and language function rise and shine All right, listeners, have you seen the term OK Boomer everywhere on the internet lately? If you're like Zara and I and are wondering what on earth the term means, according to Vox, OK Boomer is a clapback for the rising generation to call out older adults on their collective lack of inaction on climate change, for their overall resistance to progressive policies and for the condescending tone older people tend to use when describing kids these days. This is a sentiment we have seen all over our Facebook group as of late, with listeners moaning about the supposed unwokeness of older Australians. What do you make of the viral OK Boomer catchphrase? I have to say, this was one of those catchphrases or meme moments that went over my head. Yeah, for a little bit, for sure. Not now, because I spent a day... (laughs) like reading about it incessantly but it is one of those ones where you feel so behind the eight ball and you're like oh my god this story's going over my head and it's too late for me to catch up it's not too late it's not too late we're all here it's a really interesting one because I think at the start when I had just seen it floating around I thought it was a completely different thing to what it is I thought it was sarcastic and dismissive and sassy Mm. but I think it is so much more than that I wanted to quote um, a writer from The Independent who defined it in a really great way when I was reading. And her name was Clemence Michelon. And as you know, I'm brilliant at pronouncing names. Wonderful. Exotic of you. (laughs) She wrote, OK Boomer is a way to express your frustration while also partly admitting defeat. The generational divide is just too deep. We'll never see eye to eye. Your life experiences are so different from mine and you're so unwilling to put yourself to put yourself in my shoes that this conversation is doomed to lead nowhere. Mm, Interesting. So, okay, Boomer. How did you feel about it? I also felt like I was behind the eight ball. I realised as such when my 21-year-old brother put the phrase, okay, Boomer, in our family group chat. And I looked at it and I was like, 
what? Like, what does that even mean? Oh my God, that makes you feel old. Also, you're the pop culture Jano. I know. And so Tom was way ahead. Well, either Tom was ahead or I'm slightly behind. I think we'll go with the former, <laughs> not the latter. I find it interesting how older people have received the OK Boomer trend. There was one conservative radio host in America who equated it to the N-word of ageism, which is just such an eye-roll moment that he thinks this is the equivalent to the N-word, which is heaped in racist history. Yeah, what a drama queen. This definitely kicked off in our Facebook group a lot this week. We actually received a whole bunch of DMs on Instagram and on Facebook from listeners saying, please fight the ageism going on in the Facebook group after listener Faith told everyone about a confrontation she witnessed on the train between a millennial and a boomer. So basically what happened, Faith was looking on as an older gentleman pulled up a younger guy for speaking on the phone while on the train. And he basically said that young people these days are impolite and rude and don't know social etiquette and faith came in to be like am I wrong for thinking that you can talk on the phone while on a train and that's not a big problem whatsoever I'm such a proponent for talking on the phone on the train and I know that's an unpopular opinion really? people will find that it's so not annoying popular it's I- downtime you should be able to use your downtime however you please as long as it's an appropriate phone call I don't like listening in on very intense important meaningful True. conversations that should be happening behind closed doors but if it's just to catch up with a girlfriend why not okay good because I spend my whole train rides doing that alas let's move on yes so I do think there's something here I really enjoyed a piece that was actually in the Washington Post written by Holly Scott and she pointed out that this is a trend across history that no matter what we do no matter what progression or regression takes place there will always be a certain level of friction between younger generations and older generations One quote I do really want to read out is from Brian Resnick in Vox. He wrote, these OK Boomer young people are going to get older and start complaining about the youth of the future. They'll probably use the same insults, complaining the kids of the 2050s and 60s are more entitled, more narcissistic, less self-sufficient than those of generations past. They'll pay a weird amount of attention to controversies on college campuses and write opinion columns for the New York Times on how those particular controversies are indicative of a looming societal collapse. I think that nails it. I find it very interesting that across history there has always been this divide that older generations have always described younger generations as lazy and incompetent and narcissistic and I don't think that'll end. I have no doubt that when you and I as 60s are we'll probably look at the teenagers of that time and think they're lazy. A hundred percent. In fact, it's like that classic case of us still looking at younger people thinking, oh my God, they're so much more annoying than we were. Like they're not. I was incredibly annoying at 12. I can vouch for that. (laughs) Not at 12, but you're annoying now. So (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I'm only getting more annoying as I get older. To me, when I've been reading about OK Boomer, it seems to reflect not just a generation, but a kind of person resistant to change. And I think that's how we're categorizing boomers more generally, which is not a fair, complete generalization, but I think it speaks to the frustration that exists, particularly around class climate change at the moment, that there just seems to be a whole generation of young people banging their head against a wall. What I find most fascinating about viral moments and meme culture is how white this one is in particular. And there was a great piece in SBS by a writer by the name of Saman Shad, who wrote a piece titled, OK Boomer, this viral meme doesn't apply to all baby boomers. And he wrote, before we get all heated up about this intergenerational warfare, it may help to remember that the boomer, millennial and Gen Z labels only really apply to those who are able to take advantage of intergenerational wealth, because isn't that what it all comes down to? 
to. Mm. And it was a perspective I hadn't really considered, but I think it's so bang on. So much intergenerational angst comes down to economics. Like I think not all of it, but a lot of it, uni fees, the housing market, job stabilities, the idea that they had or have had it easier than us all comes down to money, right? That is so interesting. And so the argument in this story is about the fact that immigrants don't really relate to these titles. He went on and wrote, the struggles faced by the immigrants of this country aren't restricted by their date of birth. Rather, they are dictated by the circumstances in which they or their parents arrived in this country. And I think that's an important point to note when we're talking about something that captured the internet but didn't capture everybody's experience. Very, very interesting. I mean, I kind of shrug my shoulders at this. I don't feel any level of contempt for older Australians. If anything, I think it's super important that we elevate their voices because I think it's dangerous when we try to shut them out. We've discussed this in in the past, Sarah. I think everyone's voice is valid. I just find it curious that this OK Boomer catchphrase has come along in quick succession after that trend that we spoke of a couple of months ago on the podcast of those Facebook groups popping up where young people were imitating boomers. I think it's funny. I do think it's ageist at the same time. So I think we need to check ourselves and make sure we don't verge from being funny into being snarky and downright mean. And cantankerous too. I find it fascinating that our exhaustion around conversations around climate change and I think that we are talking more about climate change and the generational divide between perspectives on climate change more than ever has happened at the same time as this sentiment and this meme has risen. And I think the idea that politics and pop culture or politics and meme culture can overlap so furiously is so interesting to note. I think it says a lot about how those two things overlap and how pop culture is very much just reflective of how politics looks at any given moment. Like this is completely reflective of politics. The climate change thing is so closely intertwined with it. We can't, they're like inextricably linked. The other part about this though, that just to argue against myself, because I do think this is a largely positive two-word phrase that captures a sentiment more than anything. And I think when, I'd saw, I, when I had seen it floating around, I did think it was sarcastic and dismissive and a little arrogant. But I, I think when I dug into it, it's just a two-word catchphrase that captures a sentiment is that interestingly, some of the most interesting conversations I have, I think, are with my mum and our two generations sort of come to a head. And I would like to think that my siblings and I have taught her very tiny things in the way that she's taught us a lot about context and why her people her age think the way that they do. And so I think in some ways, a phrase like, OK, boomer, isn't as helpful because it doesn't often encourage us to continue having those conversations. And I think those conversations in my own personal life, and I know that that comes with incredible amounts of privilege, being able to have those conversations with someone who will listen is incredibly important. Like it's also important for us to continue pushing, even though it feels like our head is banging against a wall. Absolutely. My conversations with my mum and my dad are my favourite conversations ever because I think there is so much richness to get out of two generations really robustly debating something. And I very, very much appreciate my parents for bringing that to the table. Yeah, and like I said, there is privilege in even being able to have those conversations in a respectful way because not a lot of people do. But I think it's it's it would be stupid of us to assume that we can never have them again. I agree. I think that's all we've got time for today. I think it might be too. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to this episode of Shameless. We will meet you if you're coming to the Brisbane or Sydney oh live gosh. show. We will meet you this week and we are just, oh, I can't wait. It's come around so quickly and I know that's the most basic bitch thing to say in November. Like, oh, 
I can't believe it's November. Oh, I can't believe December's next month. But truly, I can't believe it. I'm so excited. We've been planning these for so long. It feels like we sold the tickets so long ago. It really does. So it's going to be so good to see it all come out in action. Is that how you say it? Come yeah. Out? I think the more basic bitch thing to say is, oh, Christmas has come around so early again. The year, the time just flies. I literally say that every year. Oh, Christmas trees. Who would have thought? It's what you say when you don't know what else to say. <laughs> yeah, totally. Hey, guys, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We are on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community. Michelle, is there anything else you would like to add? If you want to support the show, please take a screenshot of you listening and post it on your Instagram story. That helps spread the word that we exist and that we're a thing. We're a thing. Thanks so much, guys. We'll be in your ears on Thursday. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.